showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Relationships Like the Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, someone whose book I initially read over 10 years ago that I've been using in my practice for 10 years. It has helped many people that I turn to as a resource whenever I'm feeling stuck. So I'd like you to welcome Wendy Maltz. She's an internationally recognized psychotherapist, sex therapist, and expert on healthy sexuality and sexual recovery. She has all these publications on her website. There's tons of resources. Some of her books are The Sexual Healing Journey, Private Thoughts, The Porn Trap, Passionate Kisses, Intimate Kisses. So just check out her website. There's tons of resources. She has been an award-winning pioneer in the field of sexual healing. She has more than 35 years of clinical experience treating sex, intimacy, and relationship concerns. She's been an active speaker, trainer, and university educator. And now retired from counseling, Wendy continues to provide media interviews on sexuality topics. And we're so lucky to have her. (laughs) Um, I was just telling her that, you know, I I thought a couple weeks ago, if I could interview anyone, who would I want to interview? And I turned around to my bookshelf and I looked at my favorite books and I thought, I'm going to call these people. And she was just so gracious and and just delighted to have you here with us today. So welcome to the show, Wendy. Oh, well, happy to be here, Amber. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about pornography. What a complicated topic pornography can be. And like, it's so accessible. You can watch it from your phone. I remember, you know, it didn't used to be so accessible. And, and I think relationships really struggle with pornography. People don't know what to do with pornography. Is it good? Is it bad? What are the boundaries? What aren't the boundaries? So I'm curious with this very interesting topic, what on earth got you into this field? What made you decide to write a book on it? Well, you know, I've been a sex therapist since the late seventies. And um, my husband, Larry also is a, a re- a relationship therapist. And we were in practice together as Maltz Counseling Associates. And we started seeing back, oh, I guess 1995 to 2000, we started getting an influx of people who would come in saying they were having problems with pornography. And this Mm -hmm. is something we just really hadn't heard before. Um, You know, porn maybe would come up as, you know, Uh, when people had disagreements over what they should watch, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because, but back in the, uh, you know, eighties and nineties, when we were first practicing, uh, porn was a very different product. And there were stores that had the um, VHS videos Mm -hmm. in a back room in the back, yeah, under a curtain, you know, and they were, you know, pretty tame stuff. Um, uh, and uh, you didn't see a lot of violence. You didn't see a lot of aggression, and um, and there were storylines, <laughs> you know, it would go on that we they were like little movies. 
And, um, but then things had changed with the internet coming on and um, people being able to download in the privacy of their own home. They didn't, the accessibility increased. And, and I think the lack of accessibility had been a natural deterrent for a lot of people. And it's sort of like, um, you know, when the, the grocery stores put all the candy in the front and right next to you as you're waiting in line to check out, it's really hard to resist. Mm-hmm. And maybe you hadn't thought about that chocolate bar, but when you see it right there, you just throw it. It's so easy to throw it on the counter. It takes a lot of work not to. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what happened with porn and then especially with it turning into something you could access on a device. Um, on, on a cell phone device. Mm-hmm. And um, there were the anonymity that was there and 24 seven, anytime, day or night, anything you want, you can, you know, you could put in a certain category of something that maybe you were curious about sex with elephants or whatever, and boom, something would come up or, yeah. um, and it was really hard to see, actually, to tell you the truth. You know, I got my beginning in, uh, I mean, personally, I used to look at porn. Larry and I would, wouldn't be a big deal, you know, not a lot, but it was like, oh, let's check this out. You know, especially back in, we were in Berkeley back in the 70s and there were movie theaters you could go to. You know, we were young, we were dating and, you know, that kind of thing. And you want to be exposed to whatever you can learn about sex. But um, so I didn't, I didn't have personal things against it, but I did have a background working with sexual abuse survivors and being a survivor myself and um, seeing all of a sudden seeing that, yeah, you know, this whole pornography thing and sexual abuse, there's a lot of overlap here. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the performers, the studies showed a high number of them had sexual abuse in their histories. Then the, um, and the way people are objectified and um, the, uh, the racism in it and sexism in it and the, the aggression and violence and desensitizing people to aggression and violence mixed with sex. It's kind of like there had to be an edge on it and the edge kept getting edgier and edgier and, yeah. and more extreme and um, more brutal and uh, away from love and away from connection, away from elements that would build relationships that I knew as a uh, marriage and relationship therapist were important. Uh, Things like trust and uh, safety and um, respect, you know, and consent. It just was all of a sudden this incredible a uh, place where people were getting their sexual information and it was impacting how they thought of sex, what they thought of, what their sexual fantasies were, what they wanted to do in real life. And it was for some people, not everyone, but a certain percentage of people, it was taking over their lives mm-hmm. and actually being the factor that um, prevented them from creating a healthy relationship with another person. 
So I uh, got really concerned. And so back around 2000, um, Larry and I started noticing this and we looked around for resources we could give our clients to help them move away from porn if that's what they had chosen to do. We didn't see them. So, you know, I was young, I had energy <laughs> and, um, and, and, and kind of like you, where you're doing, you're doing this podcast, you've got your practice, you've got your family, you've got your dog, you know, your home. And, and I, I, that was me back then. And, uh, you know, it's like, why not write another book yeah. and we'll do it on this and we'll interview people and we'll use, our, you know, our clinical knowledge and do a lot of research of what is out there. And, you know, writing the book's a wonderful thing because you learn about a subject so much. So it made me a better therapist to research about pornography. And then having the background, having done the books on sexual healing, the sexual healing journey, which I'm probably most known for, it's been around for 30 years. It just came out in a Spanish edition. I'm oh, so excited. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm famous in Mexico right now, really. <laughs> that's amazing. In Mexico. Um, but um, it, it, the, uh, you know, so I had this background in sexual abuse and in sexual fantasy work where with the um, book In the Garden of Desire, which was later renamed uh, private thoughts. And that's a marvelous book. I think that's one, another really good book. Um, but that was a whole study of exploring the power of sexual fantasy. And so that's not a big jump from those two things to working on pornography. Um, I'll just tell you on a side, I was also for fun on top of everything with two children and the dog and everything else, the practice and the exercise uh, and the husband. And, so many uh, things. So many things. Um, I was also, had, I took four years out to research smiling. Smiling. <laughs> smiling is the coolest thing. Maybe we could talk about it sometime. I wanted to do a book on that, but it never came through, but you know, those, that's also a subject where you have physiological, like with sex, physiological, you have psychological, you have relationship components, you have, you know, the way the culture influences you and the importance of, of it in our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, a life without sex and a life without smiling would be a pretty bland life you know? it would be bland yeah you're right, you're right. <laughs> so um uh but anyway so you know we did uh do the porn trap and um there was we have half of it is devoted to understanding today's pornography and how it impacts the brain how it impacts the nervous system and relationships and um psychology and um uh, addictive um, uh, cravings and things like that and how people get into it and then how they realize they have a problem with it and what happens when they hit bottom, if they hit bottom. And then um, the second half of the book is all about recovery. Like you mentioned, um, uh, it uh, has, has a, we made it a real hands-on resource for therapists and and people, um, men and women in all types of relationships with all sexualities, you know, can relate to the ideas and concepts in it for 
um, moving away from porn if that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like what you said here. And early on in your book, you talk about some of the factors that make it more likely to begin, you know, using porn in a less helpful way and some of the inhibiting factors. And I think one of the things you talk about in the inhibiting factors is limited contact with it. And as mm-hmm. you talked about earlier, like we don't, we're just not in the past. I, I remember going into the movie store with the black things in the back and like, you're curious, but you, you're not just clicking on the thing and get, seeing all the porn. You might see the, if you are so brave to poke your head back there, you can go back there. You might see the cover of the, you know, VHS box, but you didn't get to see the whole thing. Now you can click. And next thing you know, like you said, you're into elephant porn or something like that. It, it only takes the click of one button before you get yourself in some trouble. And right. so tell us a little bit about, um, I'm imagining there's some sort of like continuum of problem spectrum. There's people I'm sure that can watch pornography and it'd be just fun and exciting, kind of maybe like the old days where you'd go to a show, but not quite like that. And then I'm sure there's people that it's really become a problem in their lives. What's what's the difference between these kinds of people? Do you have a sense of that? Um, you know, my best take on it is that some of us um, are more prone to developing compulsions and problematic behavior and addictions than others. I think there is some biological shift there, like uh, or biological reasoning there. Like 15% of people, if you put them on um, Parkinson's drugs, the dopamine that impact dopamine and they are 15% of them will start uh, developing serious addiction to something. Wow. You know, just right. That that's just the drug impact. So it's like, and and when you look at the research, it's like um, 10 to 15% of people develop addictions to substance abuse, addictions to gambling, addictions. So we can be exposed to a lot of things, but some of us, I think, are a little more addiction prone or something in the way our chemistry goes. It could be related to early trauma, could be related to a lack of other positive influences. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that keeps people away from porn or having it minimal use is that they grew up with a different understanding of sex. And what they see in porn is kind of, ew, (laughs) or like, ha, 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 look at that, you know, it's curious, or, oh, that was arousing, but hey, I was, ooh, I was just into it, and Mm -hmm. it went in this weird direction, and I don't want to do that again. You know, they have these kind of responses because they already have a view of sex that they like better. And they and they or they're really into the in the moment sensual experience, relating with a partner, watching the partner's reactions and lovemaking and things like this. And 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 pornography, it's like this is someone else's fantasy. Oh, these are actors and half of them are drug or, you know, 90 percent of them are drug addicted and doing it to get their next hit. And, you know, and there's an industry here that's pulling in little children. And a lot of these people are getting abused by this process. You know, the, the, but if, if you grew up with this sort of like, oh, can't talk about sex and sex, oh, you know, I'm going to go look on here and see what this is. or what does it mean to do, you know, doggy style or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? yeah. And it's like, it oh, and then, you know, boom, this pornography comes and then boom, there's a sexual feeling. And then boom, there's um, um, uh, touching oneself and pleasuring to it and masturbating. And then 
oh, I think I'll do that again. That was cool. And what else could I look at? And before they know it, they're on a slide. They're mm. like slid in and pornography. Well, I mean, right now we're learning about the algorithms that Facebook is uh, using to, you know, to control our thoughts and our lives and our political feelings um, and make money uh, w- without really caring the impact on people. Well, the porn industry is a thousand times worse and the, they have algorithms too. And so people, they know how, based on what you've clicked on, how to move you into just something that's slightly more interesting or edgier so that you'll keep coming back to look at more and the whole plan there. And I've seen the research on this. It looks like a spider web. Mm. People are brought in from the outside with a Playboy channel or with this movie or something from ESPN with a buxom, uh, you know, with a large a woman with large breasts, you know, that are revealed. And then they, they're brought in slowly uh, through these algorithms to get to essentially they want to get to paid porn. And, and even if they can entice 5% of the viewers of the lighter stuff, to make it all the way into the paid porn, they've made a lot of money. Mm. So meanwhile, 95% of people are getting, you know, like um, their sexuality conditioned in a way that um, can uh, work against them and against their ability to enjoy and maintain a relationship with a, a, a real person or even if they're not in a relationship, even to have a good feelings of self-esteem on their own. Mm-hmm. If it, pornography use when it spins out of control, no, uh, it, it creates uh, for a lot of people self-loathing mm-hmm. and, and they can mask that with contempt. You know, don't tell me I can't watch porn or you're just so uptight, you know, and I've gotten... I've gotten things like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> replies like that. Um, I, I, you know, so, uh, but I understand it. That anger is understandable because people are scared and they're feeling like their lives uh, have gotten away from them and they want to be feel justified in what they've been doing and what they're now very emotionally attached to. Yeah. And, and find themselves having a very difficult time giving it up. Yeah. Oh, not even wanting to entertain the idea of giving it up. Yeah. Uh, and it's very difficult to give it up because all you do is you open the next, um, you, you know, you open the front page of the New York Times and um, scroll down and there's, you know, um, uh, somebody in a G-string or <laughs> something, you know, on Broadway. Mm. And, and so... Which I'm, I'm not for any kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm not for censorship. Uh, I do think there should be, uh, when it comes to children, things that children can have access to. I think they do need protection from sexually explicit images that involve violence and pornography and abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, but I, as a sex educator and former sex therapist, you know, I, I think there is, a, it's wonderful that we're able to have a lot of graphics on um, sexual interaction 
that show people body real body parts and interaction that, that, that show up in the in the um, more enrichment category mm-hmm. for sexually explicit material. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing like lately I've been seeing a lot of, I don't know, new information about like ethical porn, which is now showing like people who are more consensual in their decisions to be there also of body shapes and sizes. They're doing things that are more within the um, typical or normal realm of the sexual experience that aren't too far away from yeah, normal. And they're staying away from more uh, violent things. They're, they're not, um, yeah, they're just, they're just less violent, less, they can be graphic, but they are more encompassing of what would be typical in the, in the average bedroom. And I think, you know, that, that could be interesting, which is different than someone who's clicking down a hole of something that is going to be far outside the realm of what most people are going to experience if they're thinking about a sexual experience and is going to be harder to relate to back in the bedroom. You know, yeah, and I think that those are steps in in a better direction. Mm -hmm. Um, You can still look at it. I I remember seeing this one television show where this guy was watching something sexually explicit. He was laying, uh, it was like a a comedy, and the man was laying on the bed uh, um, watching uh, the um, something on television, and and you could, the wife comes in and she says, what are you looking at that for? Why do you have to look at that mm. to want to be sexual with me? Why aren't I enough, you know? And it, I mean, it, they made some joke out of it, you know, went on. but, but that, that stuck with me, you know, um, even in the nicest porner, e- even if someone's watching a lot of sexual enrichment videos and they are watching them all the time and they can't yeah. get enough of them and it's what I, I, I can't wait for my next one to come, you know. I, you know, for the partner in a situation like that, it, it can be like um, a form of, feel like a form of infidelity. Oh, yeah, totally. So, um, you know, if people watch together and they do it and it is kind of for some spice and there's a sense that the actors are treated well and, you know, tested and want to be doing what they're doing and, you know, and there are elements of, of genuine relationship in, in, in it, you know, that, that can, could be like on the edge there with more um, inspirational or enrichment type uh, videos or even tantric, tantric sex kind of mm-hmm. videos where you see um, sex uh, where people are having that experience with all that pleasure and it's um, moving the couple to um, greater appreciation of each other and, and maybe seeing some of that is not not a bad thing to say, oh, that's what it looks like when people really, you know, make some eye contact or they're expressing loving words and um, respect and caring and appreciation during sex or laughter even, you know, and they're just, you know, throwing um, whipped cream and cherries at each other, you know, (laughs) 
creative ways. Yeah. You know, um, like that could be, that's maybe not a bad thing to, to, to see a lot. But it, again, well, like you were saying, is it like a spectrum? Yes, it's like a spectrum. And it's like, like with food, we can do it. It's nurturing or we, you know, we pick certain foods. There are certain foods like junk foods. You eat a lot of that and your body's going to suffer. And, um, and, and, or with, uh, like alcohol and drugs, you do a lot of those, your, your, your body is going to suffer. Your relationships are going to suffer and, uh, gambling. Um, so when it gets, it, it, with the porn, what was so insidious in my work was seeing how people had gotten, hearing how people had gotten into it pretty innocently. Mm-hmm. And um, then when, by the time they realized it was creating serious problems, they, they, it had gotten a, 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 a grab on them and they couldn't pull away easily mm-hmm. on their own. They needed help. And, and even with help, they needed a lot of help. Yeah. You know, people were saying to me, gee, I, I've, um, I've gotten, I had a problem with um, marijuana and I smoked for years and um, boy, that was tough to get away from, or I had a problem with heroin even, and, uh, or cocaine. And I finally got off of those, but I can't, they would say, I can't get off of this porn. And whoa, I mean, our sexual response involves a release of um, uh, opiates and a lot of feel-good chemicals, endorphins and serotonin and all these different feel-good chemicals. And so we essentially become addicted to the reactions inside our own body and and then the sexual release can, you know, for some people be a way of um, blowing off, for a lot of people, blowing off steam around, um, you know, emotional stress, mm-hmm. anxiety, and, and uh, or dealing with disappointments and things like that, or, or, or elations. Um, that I used to work with alcoholics when I first started as a therapist back in my early 20s. And, you know, the, the people would say, um, uh, well, I ran, I ran the educational groups for people who had gotten dri- driving under the influence uh, tickets and, and lost their licenses. And they would say, I drink when I'm happy and I drink when I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I drink to celebrate and I drink to, uh, to, uh, to soothe myself. And I think it's, just, it's the same with lots of addictions and porn addiction can be or a compulsive porn use, problematic sexual behavior that involves porn can be that. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I agree. And I think what's really interesting about what you just said is whether it's now this like more ethical porn, they're coming out with a regular porn or whatever they're coming out with, the impact on the partner can be the same. And yeah. what I think is really important couples begin to talk about is what are their beliefs, values, expectations when it comes to use. And then should you decide to have it in your relationship also, what safeguards are there to prevent against, like you described, that spider web of the um, the internet that pulls you in just one more click closer to that paid stuff that gets you down that hole that you're talking about, where it becomes 
compulsive, you're using it more and more and certainly could be violating the beliefs, the values, the expectations of your relationship that has your partner going, well, hey, what about me? Aren't I enough? Why, why are you going there? Because that is such a betrayal and can be so harmful. And I think I'll be curious to see the research as it's quite, I feel like right now there's so much research that points to, you know, even the exposure, the conditioning online can take away from the sexual experience in the bedroom. And I'll be curious to see what happens over time. But I think the point that you made about, even if they're just looking at this other thing and it's not even necessarily classified as porn, it can still leave that feeling of, what about me? Yeah. The partner. For the partner, their sense of worth and values diminishes as mm -hmm. they hear that the porn user partner is into the porn. It's like, um, uh, it's, it's a really, uh, I heard so much pain. It's, it's a traumatic, it can be traumatic, you know, um, and it, the research has shown that, uh, that the uh, people who discover that their partner has a compulsive porn use, they, they have responses uh, of it. It's like this sense of incredible betrayal of trust um, incredible loss of respect and disappointment. You're looking at what? Mm -hmm. You're looking at the barely legal stuff and we have a 12-year-old daughter, you know, or how you're, you know, you're, you're watching this stuff when the kids are in the other room watching TV, you're in the bedroom with your computer masturbating to porn, you know, I mean, and it's like, so for family life, it's really, whoa, a big wrench, but that feeling like I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. And then what is even more um, just hard, it was so hard to hear was that once they hear that the intimate partner know, you know, once the intimate partner knows or has discovered the extent of the abuse of the addiction or the porn use, and that that knowledge is not enough to stop the behavior from coming. So you even know how much it bothers me. And you know how much it's impacting our marriage, our relationship, our children could impact our children or it already has and your or your work. And you're still choosing to do it. Like, um, yeah, so there's a sense like, my pain, my emotional pain, I'm speaking from the intimate partner's perspective, my emotional pain is, um, means nothing to you. It can't stop you from doing this. Now, what a lot of um, intimate partners don't realize is that these are very a very common situation when you're the partner of anyone with any type of addictive behavior, be it gambling or um, eat, even food compulsion, if it's um, harming the individual who's, let's say, overeating or undereating, you know, um, but uh, 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 compulsive behaviors that are self-destructive, that it's very common. And what they need to come around 
to, which is really hard, is it's not about them. It's about that they happen to be with a partner who who has gotten trapped mm-hmm. by what this product, and um, and it's impacting them. And as the porn user, oh, it can be so hard when you hear the intimate partner speak of their pain and you see the pain in your partner and you go, I really want to stop it. Uh, And you just, that's where this self-loathing is. But, you know, it's like they think, they come up with excuses to continue use because they're really addicted to it. And those excuses just mask the addiction. And it's really hard to get to a place that says, no, I have lost the ability to determine, to self-determine my own sexual behavior. Mm. I have lost control over my own sexual behavior. I need help. Um, Sometimes the porn users get there when we're talking about extreme cases, right? Because for I think the majority of couples, someone says, you know, this is a serious problem for me. The partner will be able to change behavior, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, and so, you know, someone says, I don't like it when you drink so much when we go to parties, you know, <laughs> and a, a husband might say to his wife, you know, and she might agree, okay, I'll just have a one drink limit. And that works. And that kind of thing can work um, with pornography too, but uh, not if somebody has already gotten um, lost that ability and then you lose that ability. It's not a will thing. It's a, a, a chemical thing. Um, we develop um, the, you, you need the substance or the product to, in order not just to feel good, but to not feel bad. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, people go back to the porn because they um, because it's just so uncomfortable to be away from it. Mm-hmm. Boy, and now I'm painting a you know a pretty dark picture here. You know, of people with extreme attachments to it, um, but uh, that's the reality of it. And it's helpful for the intimate partner to realize that they're not they didn't cause this. It's really. You know, we're talking about this. We have this incredibly powerful product now in our society, and some people are getting, um, are their lives are getting um, harmed by it, and not enough people are talking about it. Um, but uh, there, there is help. I've worked with a lot of people and I've talked with a lot of people who have moved away from porn. They've been able to do it. There is something about consciousness that really helps. It's like, um, I have a cholesterol problem. That's I'm telling you the truth. I have a cholesterol problem, okay. But I used to like cheesecake, you know, and um, uh but I lost my desire to eat cheesecake when I'd eat it and I'd become aware of all the butterfat in it. 
and the clogging the arteries. I'd start to just see the block of butter, the, you know, that that is in front of me on the plate instead of this wonderful cheesecake. That doesn't mean I don't occasionally have a tiny bite of cheesecake, but I've pretty much ruled it out of my life now because my consciousness about it, of what the ingredients are and what it can do to my body and how it can cause an early death or me have to go on even more medications than I'm on, you know, uh, that th th those dissuade it. And the same thing happens with, with any addiction. It can happen when people get that consciousness and they're able to be really honest with themselves and say, I don't want a life that is controlled by this product mm -hmm. and by this industry. I want my life back. And if I have to go through an uncomfortable period of, uh, of changing, essentially ch changing my physiology to where I'm not as um, drawn to it, um, I will do that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. You talked here a lot about, you know, not, not every partner is going to be addicted, but there can certainly be a betrayal. And if mm -hmm. you're less severe, your partner can say, well, gosh, this is uncomfortable for me. Can you please make a change? You give the wine example and they can probably say, okay, but then there's some partners that they're going to give you the excuses and they're not going to be able to change necessarily. But let's imagine a couple has been really shaken up. There's, it's felt like a big betrayal because of pornography and, you know, the partner using the pornography has made a commitment to changing, what are the steps for that couple to start to heal together? Well, I think learning about the process of healing and something and a book like The Porn Trap, that's why we created that book. And you can see everything there and what it means to have a relapse and what are triggers and how to protect yourself and what are the things couples need to discuss and how do you restore trust and how, you know, what, how can you reapproach or, or learn some new ways to approach touch and sexuality to enhance your experiences there. So as you're, you know, to, uh, to move you in a new directed, direction in your sexual growth that is is within your control and choice and 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 creates more pleasure for you you know so there's um there's so much but uh you know the recognition of the problem overcoming denial recognition of the problem reach getting out of isolation for both people um, intimate partners can need therapy as much as the porn user uh, who's trying to move, move away from it. And, um, you know, 12 step programs can be helpful. Um, there's, uh, I think, but you have to realize what you're up against. You can't go into it naively and just say, I'll just stop doing it, you know, or I'll get this control and put it on my computer or, you know, a, a thing like that. Or and you can't go. Why don't you trust me? I said I was going to stop it. That kind of thing doesn't work. You know, no. it's there's a very there very much is more a show me the money kind of thing that has to happen. Where you know, show me your commitment, which is oh, you're going to therapy. You know, oh, you're in a twelve step program. Oh, you've been working your program. Oh, you're talking about, um, you know how porn impacted you. Oh, you're, um, uh, 
you're learning about new approaches to touch and sex. Oh, you're you're sharing more with me about what your feelings are when you're under stress. Oh, you know, and I mean, there are certainly a lot of really good signs. And you're you're you know, and and I think when you hear people uh, share the consciousness change I was talking about, a change of consciousness goes on when you hear people say like. Uh, I remember one uh, man that I worked with in therapy, he had really been into porn since he was a a young boy. And um, he had then had um, relationships with women where he'd get them to act out the scenes in porn, things involving objects and toilets and, you know, I mean, you, you name it, you know. And he, you know, in therapy, it was just like, him realizing, oh my God, those women, they must have had so much pain themselves. And they must have been really abused growing up that they would consent to do these things or, or that they were, you know, into pleasing me when I was treating them so horribly or saying these things to them that were really mean and humiliating things. And um, so, you know, when the, the, the person who's been into it, like, gets to that, you know, moment of realization, like, it, it is like, they don't want to do it again. Mm-hmm the appetite goes down, you know, for it. The like, yuck, I don't want to be part of, of that. And so when uh, the intimate partner, the intimate partner starts hearing things like, you know, I'm feeling miserable about, you know, some of the things I saw. But the, also another thing that can be a sign that there's positive uh, progress is if the person the porn user has compassion for themselves and stands up for themselves and says, you know what? I don't want you to berate me about what I did in the past. I want you to support me with what I'm doing now. And I want you to work with me to create something new ourselves. I'm here to do that. And if you hold on to your anger, it's going to make it harder. I understand you need to go slowly and take time and make sure, you know, that, re- that rebuilding trust happens over time and that I broke your trust. But I need you to be, to for this to work for both of us, you're also going to need to come up, you know, take some risks and come out of your, your anger and, and even your disgust. I mean, the reality is I was into something that is everywhere and there are a lot of other people stuck in it. And and I'm just thankful that I recognized what was happening and got, have been working to get myself out. Mm-hmm. And that kind of a statement is also a knock on wood. You know, there's uh, real progress happening here. Yeah. So as we come to the end of this, this show here and you provide us with so much insight, is there anything that you think is really important for people that are trying to get untrapped or just moving into change and I've already given some steps, but is there anything that you think is one of the most important tips that you want to get put out there? Um, this is a process, like this is a process uh, that takes time and it's, uh, there are steps and other people have been on this journey, um, of recognition and of, 
uh, getting support and healing. And it's, it's possible. It's worth it. It's well worth it. You, you, you can even experience dimensions of sexual pleasure and connection and, and self-worth that you um, didn't even dream of before. Mm -hmm. um, then you do need a lot of self-compassion. Don't blame yourself. Uh, don't come down hard on yourself for what's happened in the past or even for uh, cravings and interests. Those are all biochemically understandable. It's just keep moving forward. And, and even if you have relapses, keep moving forward. You can get there. Um, our sexuality is something that we can move and recondition and move in some new directions. And uh, I do think love is stronger than uh, the abuse and harm that can be done from pornography. Mm. Well, that's very helpful finishing words there. I agree. I think love can be stronger for sure. And it takes effort. Like, you know, love is that mm -hmm. action word and it's not just going to snap your fingers and love is enough. But certainly if you're willing to put an action like you've already gone through, you know, tell somebody, maybe some treatment, maybe it's a 12 step group, maybe you're demonstrating to your partner, hey, look at I'm trying to change, you're changing your relationship, having those new sexual experiences. There's certainly plenty of, of hope if people are really willing to put in the effort. So, so much information here. If people want to learn more about your work, if they were interested in some of your books, where can they find you, follow you? Well, um, because I'm retired now, you know, I don't have an office anymore except this little office in my home. And I, um, uh, but you can um, go to my website, healthysex.com. And starting in probably by uh, November, the middle of November of this of 2021, I'll have it all redone. Ooh. And um, I mean, there's already a lot of resources on healthysex.com, but there are tons of uh, videos and uh, video interviews, audio interviews. Um, there's articles that uh, is porn bad for you is one of the articles that um, I'm um, it used to be called out of the shadows, but it's very popular. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's a lot of free material. There's posters, the uh, hazards of porn. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you know the difference between porn related sex and mm -hmm. um, healthy sex? And you can download those from my website and you can stick them on your wall or in your teenagers <laughs> room <laughs> as a prevention. It's actually used in teen sex ed uh, programs. So um, there's lots of free material and that's what my goal is to give a lot of free things at this point. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I'm sure those resources will be helping so many people. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.